0: This is Unconventional Knowledge, the podcast that looks at information hidden below the surface. In this episode, our founder and chairman, Prince Michael of Liechtenstein, interviews Turkey expert Alper Cezcun to discuss Turkish foreign policy in the context of regional conflicts. You have now about three decades of experience in diplomatic and foreign services. Can you give maybe shortly some key milestones in your career and how they have shaped both your perspective and finally also your perspective of the Turkish foreign policy?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Um, I was a career diplomat in the Turkish Ministry of Foreign Affairs for over three decades, and I had very interesting postings. Um, the, The... the most, well, the one that stands out the most is is difficult to to identify because there were many interesting places I found myself in. I found I started off in Moscow as a junior diplomat right in after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. So to see how um, Russian society and its statecraft was adapting to the realities of a uh, the end of an an empire, if you will, and the beginning of a new era, and how. Uh, that had um, internal implications obviously uh, within Russia and how it tried to navigate those challenges also in terms of its relations with the rest of the world was a was a really eye-opening experience for me as a young diplomat and since it was it is obviously a a neighbor of Turkey uh, in the wider region the the nature of the relationship between Turkey and Russia uh, which is uh, historically fraught was very interesting uh, to follow at that point in time. I also served in in Athens, in Greece, um, and that happened to be at a time in which Turkey and Greece, um, unfortunately at the time, almost went to war over uh, some islets uh, in the uh, Aegean. So to see the escalation of that tension, to find yourself on uh, one end of that as um, a young diplomat representing that country in the the country with whom uh, Turkey almost had hostilities was a very interesting laboratory, if you will, uh, for a young diplomat. And then I was in the United States um, coincidentally during 9-11, so I saw how uh, the implications of that experience um, for the United States securitized the mindset in the United States, how it impacted on uh, society. Uh, One of the striking memories I have uh, among many is how on on highways around uh, New York City, uh, whereas previously you would have uh, signs showing uh, the weather forecast or the level of traffic, it was talking about uh, the level of threat, whether it was orange or whether it was red. So, so to see that transition to
0: a securitized state of mind uh, was a was a big eye-opener for me and a, a, an interesting experience. Very, very interesting. Maybe we can jump now, as I can, to um, today. And at the moment, we have this crisis around Gaza. Israel, Hamas, etc. Um, what is your analysis, let's say, from a perspective, from your perspective of the ongoing conflict and, let's say, the broader implications for the region?
1: Yes, we currently we find ourselves in the, in the center of a very uh, dangerous, vicious uh, cycle of uh, violence. Uh, This was obviously uh, triggered by an unspeakable act of terror on the part of uh, Hamas, uh, claiming uh, 1,400 as of now lives uh, on the Israeli side. And then, of course, you have the 200-plus hostages. So the despicable nature of that attack speaks for itself. There's no doubt about that. But where we find ourselves now is uh, Israel in the use of its uh, right of self-defense Uh, is uh, also inflicting uh, severe uh, damage on the civilian uh, population in Gaza. And we see this uh, unfold right in front of our eyes, where the death toll has risen to over 7,000, according to uh, certain numbers. Uh, And uh, this is a very uh, dangerous cycle of violence with no clear uh, end in sight. Uh, When we look at the region, I think it's important to analyze three levels of this conflict. The first one is uh, unfolding, as I said, in front of our eyes in Gaza, where Israel says it is uh, on the brink of a military incursion. Uh, It is conducting some shaping operations. Uh, A recent one took place again, uh, I believe, uh, just within the last 24 hours. Uh, But um, it's not clear what the end game or plan is as far as Israel is concerned, besides a, a a stated objective of uh, bringing an end to the presence of Hamas. But uh, the day after that is not clear who will govern uh, this uh, territory where you have more than 2 million people uh, and how that will take place. Will Israel remain in Gaza? These are all important question marks. So one level of the conflict is unfolding in Gaza. And then the second level that we have to keep an eye on, which is critically important, obviously has to do with Uh, the the Iranian proxies in the wider region, uh, ranging from places like Yemen to Iraq to Syria, uh, and obviously in Lebanon, where you have the Hezbollah. Uh, Now, um, in addition to Hamas, these are elements that uh, are, um, in one way or another, uh, supported by Iran, and could potentially step into uh, this crisis scenario. Uh, We have seen uh, small skirmishes, uh, attacks here and there, Uh, and some retaliatory attacks, both on the part of Israel and most recently, for example, by the United States uh, in uh, Syria. So this is a, a, a very dangerous dynamic, which shows us that the potential for the conflagration of the conflict into the wider area through these proxies and through reactions to these proxies is a high possibility. And then the third level, obviously, Is Interstate conflict. Uh, Israel now is a part of that, but the potential for the United States or Iran to be dragged into this is also a real uh, challenge and a real risk. Currently, um, both the United States and Iran and other actors, uh, I think, are giving strong messages to one another uh trying to deter the other uh, we see this in the military deployments by the united states in the region by its statements we also see it through the statements of iran uh, but uh, the 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 silver lining is we can see that neither side uh, also has a a great desire to get drawn into this conflict so um it's really a very dangerous and critical threshold that we find ourselves
0: in uh Do you think there was, because there are are certain um, people suggesting it, that something that Hamas actually started it at that moment, and it might not be Hamas alone, in order also to disturb this, let's say, this sort of rapprochement which happened between Saudi Arabia and Israel?
1: When you think of what Hamas's objectives could have been uh, as uh, as ill-fated and unacceptable as the manner in which they conducted this may be, I think uh, there are some results that we already see that one could say uh, are uh, in line with Hamas's interests, if you will. And the first and foremost of those is of course uh, the fact that, It has upended uh, this attack by Hamas on Israel and the ensuing developments has upended any um, assumption that there can be normalization in the region between Israel and the Arab uh, world at large by sidestepping the Palestinian issue. I think uh, this is a complacency that was uh, in action, including on the part of the United States but particularly in Israel's approach and in the approach of some uh, leading Arab nations, uh, ostensibly even Saudi Arabia. Uh, but the way in which this event has unfolded and has pushed uh, and fragmented the international uh, conscience uh, over the Palestinian issue now makes it almost uh, impossible to contemplate normalization in the region between Israel and the Arab states without uh, taking due concern of the 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 Palestinian issue so that i think uh, is uh, clearly a, a an outcome that uh, if it was calculated was successful as far as hamas is concerned uh, but of course uh, you could also argue that by conducting such a vicious act of terror uh, hamas uh, has ostensibly undermined uh, any potential though it is seen as a terrorist organization by many of the western world and uh, israel it has undermined any ostensible uh, potential of it playing a role uh, in a future peace process. And, and I think there are also challenges for Hamas in terms of the Palestinian population at large, uh, because uh, the, the the destruction that it has brought upon Palestinian society, particularly in Gaza, uh, is a challenge for Hamas itself.
0: And um, what is actually what... Turkey, which is a regional power in this area, what can Turkey do sort of to improve the situation?
1: Turkey is um, a only important actor uh, in this conflict. There's no doubt about it because of historical reasons, because of geography, because of the fact that it's a, a NATO country embedded in leading Western institutions, but it is obviously a predominantly Muslim country. Uh, So when you list all those elements, uh, Turkey has the credentials, uh, on paper at least, uh, to play an important role in this whole process. But when you look at uh, the way in which things have been unfolding, I think it's important to uh, remember that uh, there's a history between President Erdogan and and, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, and uh, this is a fraught uh, history and experience. Uh, we noticed that uh, in the immediate uh, wake of the conflict in Gaza, uh, President Erdogan uncharacteristically took a rather um, uh, tempered uh, position. Uh, He called uh, for a cease of hostilities. He expressed concern for the loss of civilian life, um, thereby including obviously Israel uh, and Palestinians. Uh, He didn't go so far as to call the attack of Hamas a terrorist attack at the time, but nevertheless, Compared to his more um, characteristic fireband rhetorics towards uh, Israel, whenever there is an uptick in violence in Gaza, this was quite tempered. And it was seen, including by myself, as uh, an attempt to uh, position Turkey uh, in a stronger uh, manner so that it could contribute to any uh, potential peace uh, process in the region. Uh, but as the conflict in Gaza continued to claim civilian lives, as expected, uh, with uh, simmering e- emotions among the Turkish population at large, with more fringe political parties expressing uh, more extreme views, anti-Israeli views, and standing up for the Palestinians, I think Erdogan, who also obviously has a political Islamist uh, background and is ideologically um Close to the to the um, the Palestinian issue, um, and even to the the roots of uh, Hamas, uh, he, I think he felt obliged to uh, take a strong step, which is why two days ago we heard him make a statement uh, whereby he said um, Hamas is not a terrorist organization. This is something he said in the past, but of course mentioning this in today's context has uh, additional meaning. Uh, and he even referred to them as uh, freedom fighters, if you will. So that has really upset, in my view, uh, the possibility uh, of Turkey playing a, a forceful role uh, in terms of uh, contributing to the peace process, because inevitably it is undermining uh, Turkey's standing both with Israel, but also with the leading Arab uh, states who have a very uh, uh, a strong sense of uh, threat perception from bodies like Hamas, including Qatar and, uh, and uh,
0: Saudi Arabia. So, might it mean that Turkey is now a bit prevented to play a role as a mediator, which some hoped it would do?
1: The potential is still there, but I'm afraid that uh, the latest statement uh, is an act of shooting oneself uh, in one's own foot, in my view. Tomorrow, there will be a big rally in Turkey that is being organized at the behest of uh, the political party that Erdogan governs, the AK Party, And one can expect that there will be more uh, fiery statements coming out of that meeting as well. Uh, On the other hand, you have uh, Turkey, through the foreign minister, uh, Hakan Fidan, who has been touring the region, stating its readiness to contribute to any effort in the region, including uh, making a suggestion that there could be a system of guarantee for the Palestinians in the region, and should the, relate- the parties involved agree to it, that Turkey would be ready to contribute. So Turkey is offering its services, but I think there is a disconnect between that suggestion, which requires one to have a credible and positive standing on each side of the parties to the conflict. There's a disconnect between that requirement And the inevitable um, transition that we've seen in President Erdogan's rhetoric, which is increasingly favoring the Palestinians and even, um, not condoning, but at least uh, treading very lightly when it comes to Hamas, uh, thereby obviously uh, triggering
0: reactions in Israel and in the West at large. And I think Turkey is also confronted not only, let's say, in the Arab area, Israeli area, but also with a very unstable situation in Lebanon and still a war going on in Syria.
1: Yes, when you look at, um, when you zoom out from uh, where Turkey is situated, it finds itself really in the epicenter, not only of cultures, uh, continents and civilizations, but also a great number of conflicts. And that has been one of the challenges for Turkish foreign policy and the Turkish economy um, and society at large. Because ever since the end of the Cold War, Turkey has never really been able to benefit from what has been called the the peace dividend that many of its European allies benefited significantly from after the end of the Cold War. Um, and, and you know, I, I personally witnessed debates, for example, within NATO where most Western allies, and uh, maybe we can put the United States, the United Kingdom uh, to aside on this in this respect, but particularly European allies. Uh, had the mindset that uh, war was over in Europe, that it was an era of peace, that militaries could be downsized. So the securitized focus on international relations was totally eroded. Whereas countries like Turkey finding themselves in the region that they do continue to have security threats and perceptions when you border countries like Iran, Iraq, and Syria, where you have the Middle East right by you. Uh, And when you have uh, tensions between Turkey and an ally, Greece, For Turkey, of course, the securitized notion of the international uh, relations continue to persevere, and that is that is a continuing
0: challenge that uh, is a burden for Turkish foreign policy. And there is another thing, I think, in a recent analysis, you mentioned the need for board actions and leadership to broker peace in the South Caucasus. Uh, Can you elaborate somewhat on, provide insights on the Uh, not only Turkey's role, but also of other powers in this area. Yes, I wrote that piece um, after Azerbaijan
1: uh, reclaimed Nagorno-Karabakh, which is internationally recognized uh, Azerbaijani territory, but had been uh, under the control of uh, Armenian forces, uh, because um, I thought that despite all of the tensions and challenges and the grievances uh, in the region, that uh, possibly we could be witnessing the alignment of a certain number of critical stars that could allow for uh, the building of peace in the region, and I and I felt that Turkey could uh, be an important actor in this regard, uh, with the reclaiming of its territories and Azerbaijan's territorial integrity being uh, uh, reclaimed. Uh, most the the most significant uh, obstacle to peace in the region, in my view, has been set aside, and this comes together with uh, an important dynamic within Armenia itself, where the Armenian leadership is showing clear signs of its intent to look into the future uh, and to engage actors in the region with a new mindset. Uh, Turkey has an interest in, in uh, facilitating this type of, type of a process because to the extent that connectivity can be built in the region – Uh, through transportation lines, through commerce, through trade, and through human engagement, Turkey stands greatly to benefit given its economic uh, potential, and of course politically as well. And given the fact that Russia is busy elsewhere, I believe that this was uh, an interesting moment in in time where Turkey could use its influence in the region for good and uh, induce a process of peace that would also lead to normalization in Turkey's ties with Armenia.
0: Well... Russia is now busy with other areas, well, ma- mainly the the, 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 the the Ukraine thing, and maybe looking at it next to the Caucasus is also the Crimea, which I think Turkey was uh, pretty upset when Russia reoccupied uh, Crimea and feeling well it was in the direct neighborhood and. Uh, I think Turkey protested widely. And they also supported your uh, u- Ukraine there, and I think this support goes on. Yes, absolutely, and that's been an interesting dimension of Turkish foreign
1: policy ever since the Russian encroachment on Ukrainian territory, including its seizure of Crimea. Uh, Turkey has been very vocal. In some cases, even more vocal than its Western allies. Speaking, standing up for Ukrainian territorial integrity, including Crimea and the Eastern territories that are under Russian occupation right now. Uh, And it has done so quite forcefully. And it did this in conjunction with two other things that I think are important to remember. One is uh, it was a strong advocate and continues to be a strong advocate of Ukraine's Euro-Atlantic integration uh, aspirations, including its desire to join NATO. Uh, President Erdogan recently made this point at the Vilnius Summit uh, as well. Uh, But also, Turkey has been expanding significantly its defense and economic cooperation with Ukraine. When many Western nations were hesitant at uh, providing Ukraine with uh, military supplies before the invasion uh, of Russia, Turkey had already signed a number of deals with Ukraine, including uh, in the area of uh, drones, to enhance its cooperation, because both sides saw this mutually beneficial. So it's an interesting dynamic where you have Turkey deepening its ties with Ukraine, um, ostensibly at the expense of Russia, while at the same time, it is also deepening its ties with Russia, as you know, which is why it has stayed away from the sanctions regime of the West. And that's the Ukrainian component of this is an element of the balancing act that Turkey is trying to uh, sustain
0: which is certainly important, that it probably allowed also, for instance, the grain exports, which are so important.
1: Yes, that is how Turkey is trying to leverage this more balanced, if you will, approach. Uh, It argues that it has access and uh, a level of credibility and confidence, both in Moscow and in Kiev, which has really been uh, instrumental in Turkey's role, together with the United Nations, to uh, bring forward the grain deal. Uh, and uh, it is a position that Turkey is trying to leverage in the longer term as well to see if it can find an opening for some form of a a peace process. It has hosted uh, Russian and Ukrainian delegations on two occasions previously in Turkey. Um, Right now, the dynamics aren't uh, um, conducive to uh, a new effort in that regard, but I think Turkey is maintaining its balanced posture and is waiting for the right time to see if it can instrumentalize its connections with both capitals in a new form
0: uh, of a peace push. Maybe we can come now to a bit of a broader thing of Turkish foreign policy. I think in the recent this is um, Turkey has been navigating through various foreign policy challenges. And we get here all the thing that actually the doctrine in Turkey on foreign policy is changing a bit, going more outwards and more generally regional than it was before. Is such a dynamic in the foreign policy happening? Yes, I think there
1: is a certain transformation that we have been witnessing in Turkish foreign policy, particularly under the um, current government's rule. President Erdogan and his party have been ruling Turkey for more than 20 years. Uh, He comes from political Islamist roots. But when we look at the trajectory of the foreign policy that he has implemented, that Turkey has been following, in his era of 20 plus years. um, I think we can divide it into three main batches. The first 10 years uh, was very much in line with the traditional Western-oriented foreign policy trajectory of Turkey. That is when Turkey gained membership status for the European Union. That is when we had uh, in Turkey a strong push for democratic reforms. Turkey met the Copenhagen criteria, hence allowing it to become a candidate for EU membership. And it was more or less fully aligned with its Western allies in its policy choices and in its rhetoric. But with the Arab Spring... Um, I think uh, the mindset in Turkey started to change because the, the, the leadership in Turkey saw an opportunity to build Turkey's influence in the region by virtue of its um, Ottoman legacy, by virtue of its uh, Islamic character uh, as a country that is predominantly Muslim. And it started to accentuate this uh, dynamic in a rather ideological fashion and got involved in, in domestic uh, internal issues uh, of some of its neighbors, ranging from Syria to Libya. Uh, it took sides in, in in Egypt, obviously, on the side of the Muslim Brotherhood. And that started to poison Turkey's relations, both with these countries on an individual basis, but overall, it created a different image of uh, how Turkey was acting in the region. And um, I think this came together with a more... Disruptive uh, culture in Turkish foreign policy, a more militarized and muscle flexing uh, mode of behavior that at the end of the day really alienated uh, many of the regional actors from Turkey. And eventually, when we came to around 2020, uh, Turkey found itself in a position where it was regionally isolated. It had bad relations with its nest- Western uh, neighbors uh, and uh, with its Western, excuse me, uh, traditional partners. Uh, And I think a a reassessment was done on the part of the Turkish leadership, which is why more or less uh, as of 2020, we started to see an attempt to reset Turkey's relations, both with the West, but also with the nations in the region. And that included Israel, uh, where Turkey tried to mend fences with Israel and Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and so that was the the a new era of uh, mending fences with these countries. Um, but I think um, the 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 conflict in Gaza might be bringing us uh, to a new uh, threshold, because uh, as we see in President Erdogan's reactions towards Israel, where he said that he was going to visit Israel, but now after the developments in Gaza, he will not do so, uh, implying that. The attempt to mend fences with Israel are now in uh, the freezer. It could create a situation where again uh, Turkey may be alienated uh, in the region a
0: little bit. And the relationship, well, it's it's not the same, but it also somewhat linked. The the way how does this does it affect? And let's say from the Turkish view, the relationship to the European Union on one side and to the Greece to the other side.
1: Yes, the the. President Erdogan has made interesting statements vis-a-vis the European Union. Recently, he made a statement saying that if the European Union does not want to continue this, then uh, Turkey will not seek full membership either. And then he reversed that uh, position. Uh, it's quite clear that Turkey is struggling on how to um, manage the difficult relationship with the European Union. Uh, and it is uh, really um, at a, to be blunt, at a standstill right now. Um, In many ways, when you look at uh, the nature of the relationship, uh, I think there is fault uh, on both sides. Uh, And this this sense of estrangement between Brussels, between the European Union and Ankara, is a challenge uh, for both sides. Uh, How that can be reversed and uh, turned into a positive dynamic, uh, it's difficult to imagine, uh, especially in today's international security landscape where you see Turkey um, increasingly identifying itself, not necessarily with its Western allies, but with a more autonomous mindset, if you will. Uh, When you look at uh, Turkish foreign policy and the statements coming out of Ankara, despite being a NATO ally, despite being a country that has been embedded historically in Western uh, institutions, including the Council of Europe, the rhetoric coming out of Ankara is more reminiscent to the one that you see coming out of the global south. And this is really a reflection, I believe, both of Turkey's um, frustrations in its relations with uh, its Western allies. With the United States, it has a long list of problems, as does the United States with Turkey. Uh, but this has created a dynamic where there is an almost... Um, visceral anger towards the United States, particularly because of its policies in Syria. And you have a similar dynamic with the European Union, where Turkish society and the governing elite at large believe that it has not been treated fairly. Uh, That, together with the geopolitical realities that the global balance is shifting towards the East, I think has led to some new thinking in Turkey as to whether Turkey needs to expand its horizons. Which is why you see this rhetoric that is more reminiscent to the global south. So there's an interesting transformation that is taking place of Turkish foreign policy. But this is uh, it is important for Ankara to be able to manage this rationally. And what I mean by that is the added value of Turkey being embedded in Western security institutions, in Western political and economic institutions, cannot be overemphasized simply because of the fact that it contributes to the quality of Turkey's democracy, obviously, but also the economic realities of Turkey as an export-driven economy that boasts a GDP of $900 billion, that exports mostly to the European Union, that brings FDI predominantly from the European Union, needs to maintain very healthy relations with the West. So it needs to retain that anchor, but at the same time, expand its horizons. And that's where I think Finding the right balance is proving to
0: be challenging. Uh, Yes, and probably all these uh, tensions which are coming and going, and you started to talk about that at the beginning with Greece, is an additional difficulty for both sides. Yes, it is. Uh,
1: Historically, Turkey and Greece uh, have had a a difficult relationship. Obviously, it is a fraught uh, history that they both have. Uh, But uh, having served in Greece uh, and and, uh, coming from Turkey, uh, from its diplomatic caters uh, in my previous role, um, I I do believe when I look at the nature of the challenges that we have, that they are very deep uh, and not easy to overcome. But at the same time, uh, there is really a strong added value in Turkey and Greece cooperating uh, on a number of issues, both in economic and in political terms. Uh, I continue to believe that that potential is there. Uh, and right now, uh, though there have been ups and downs, uh, Turkey and Greece are trying to manage these differences in a more, I think, responsible manner, if you will. Uh, there will soon be a high level meeting between the two countries, if I'm not mistaken, to be hosted in Greece. But uh, some of the outstanding issues, including uh, the problem uh, that we are facing in Cyprus, as well as in the Aegean over some jurisdiction uh, claims, uh, continues to be a main sticking point.
0: Okay, thank you. I think we have discussed a lot about challenges. Do we have, uh, could you also talk about some foreign policy opportunities? And I think there are a number, that we turn it a bit to the more positive side.
1: Yes, of course. And um, just just to be clear, there's always opportunity and challenges. Uh, We have to look at it in that manner, I believe. And when you look at, uh, since we're talking about Turkey, when you look at uh, Turkey, uh, there are a lot of opportunities that uh, Turkey can seize uh, in the international landscape and also can uh, offer, I believe, uh, to other actors. Um, First of all, I think uh, in this era where... the the security landscape is more securitized. The ability of Turkey in uh, the region where it is to contribute to regional peace, security and stability including by offering its uh, services to mediation and diplomatic solutions to the peaceful resolution of conflict, is an important capacity that Turkey continues to retain. So there's an increasing opportunity in that regard. And I would once again return to the Southern Caucasus, the situation between Armenia and Azerbaijan, as in my view, a lower hanging fruit, if you will, in terms of a potential success story that Turkey can spearhead. And then when we look at the overall Middle East in terms of building connectivity between the regions and contributing to prosperity, Turkey is an important actor in this regard as well. Uh, So together with a lot of the challenges that we have spoken about, there are always inherent uh, opportunities. Uh, But I think it is uh, the reason why we find ourselves focusing more on challenges nowadays is clearly because we find the international landscape to be more competitive. Uh, we find it to be more securitized, which is inevitably leading us to focus on uh, those dimensions. But iteratively, as we have seen in the um, COVID experience, as we have seen and we continue to see in issues like migration and other challenges, unless the capacity of countries like Turkey to contribute to wider scale solutions can be uh, untapped, And unless Turkey sees value in that, we will really not be able to solve most of these challenges. So there's a great potential uh, for um, Turkey coming together for the greater good with a lot of its partners
0: and allies in the region. And I think Turkey has always been and is one of the most important members of NATO, having a very well-functioning army, and um, and let's say the southeastern cornerstone of NATO during the whole Cold War and still is.
1: Yes, one of the um, I mentioned the fact that Turkey never benefited from the peace dividend, but the silver lining there is that Turkey has a, a um, combat proven, uh, very powerful uh, military capacity. Uh, and um, it, that stands out as a, a, a significant element for the alliance and for Euro Atlantic security at large. Uh, We saw the role that Turkey can play in different conflict scenarios as a force for good. We saw this in Afghanistan. And there is a potential for Turkey when the time comes for some sort of a peaceful solution to hopefully the war uh, in Ukraine. Turkey can again uh, ostensibly be one of those actors that can step in, not only in terms of supporting reconstruction and rehabilitation efforts, but also to ensure that security and stability is preserved in that geography. So the potential that Turkey
0: has in that respect definitely is an important one. Yep. Thank you. maybe can we try to look ahead and what you see in the future, say the priorities of Turkey's uh, foreign security policy? I think the
1: biggest um, priority for Turkey is very much a self-interest driven one uh, but not necessarily something negative. And that has to do with ensuring that these um, continuing conflicts in its near abroad, if you will, to use that term, uh, come to an end as soon as possible. Because when you look at the nature of the Turkish economy and the capacity that Turkey has to build its um, connections in the wider region, uh, the presence of these types of conflicts. The continuing sanctions regimes that are affecting most of Turkey's neighbors have a debilitating effect on the capacity of Turkey to reap the benefits of its own economic and commercial potential. So the priority for Turkey inevitably is to ensure and should be to ensure that peace prevails in and around its neighborhood, which puts an important premium on the diplomatic activities that Turkey can undertake in this regard, which is why I think The effort that it is showing right now, despite some uh, shifts in rhetoric, uh, to provide a a suggestion for a peaceful uh, path forward in the Gaza conflict is a good example of the type of activities that Turkey should be engaged
0: in. Okay, I I think this is a very good end to that. And uh, let's hope that Turkey will be successful or that the whole region will be successful to achieve a, a peace and to get that a, a, a bit more prosperous. And thank you so much for this interview. Thank you very much for having me. This was GIS founder and chairman, Prince Michael of Liechtenstein interviewing Turkish foreign policy expert, Alper Cazkun. We hope this discussion helped you understand the complexity of Turkey's role in the evolving dynamics of the Middle East. For more forecasts, please check out our website at gisreportsonline.com or follow us on social media.